on philosophy of ministry, on why we do things we do, I really felt impressed. Um, I, I had really planned the, the, the church calendar or the preaching calendar for the year, and I had a different series I was going to start here. But uh, probably three or four weeks ago, I really started just sensing the Spirit of the Lord sort of changing my mind. And, you know, He can do that. He can change our minds. <clears throat> and definitely I want to have the mind of the Lord on things. And I really felt that where we are right now, this was the next step for us in our growth in just seeing Jesus lifted high and understanding His love and His blessing and His benevolence for us. He has some questions that He wants to ask you. And our response to these questions are very revealing as to where our hearts are, where we're looking and focused in our own lives. And so this morning, uh, as we get ready to launch into this, I want to look to the Gospel of Mark. Uh, you have a parallel passage that's listed there. Last year, it was called Red Letter Prayers, where we took the prayers in red. Start in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. The actual Lord's Prayer when he prayed for the unity of the church in John 17, prayers so that you could jump in into those and find a place where you could make a connection to the Lord because these are the examples that Jesus gave. Now, so we're going to half or so ago and we're going to do this series called Red Letter Questions because Jesus regularly asked. He did it was because he didn't know the answer. And I'll stop right there and we'll read the text. I'll pick up with these. This is uh, an extensive passage, so I'm not going to ask you to read out loud, but just follow co. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, coming down 77, okay, is what's going on. Jesus with a large crowd were leaving the city of this, was sitting by the roadside begging, Mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. On me. Jesus stopped. I love that. Say those two words with me. And so they called him, to, called out to the blind man. They said, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Jesus then asks the important question. Here we go. Say that loud with me. What do you want to see? Jesus has one word. Say it with me. Go, said Jesus, his sight, and follow Jesus along the road. Bow your hearts with me, please, for a word of prayer. Body here at Victory. Lord, I just, I love this place. I love the hearts of these folks. Walk with Jesus. God, I just ask you today to be the voice within my voice. I thank you, Jesus, that I'm not, that I am, I am in covenant with you. On the name of the Lord, the Holy Spirit is there to walk with them and to be inside them and to acknowledge our need for you to do that. We'll give you the praise and the glory and all of God's people, Lord. I, I think about questions. Uh, take us. And, and we get, it sort of knocks us off guard of being able to see things in a different perspective. God regularly, various leaders and patriarchs of, the, of both the old, his donkey on the road to Damascus, and ask him why way to kill Christians. And Jesus was identifying the me is, do this to the least of these, you've done this unto me. And Paul had to answer the question, Saul's life. Jacob wrestled with the angel of the Lord. Now, that's not just any angel, but it says the angel of the Lord, the appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. And so the angel of the Lord, the Lord's messenger himself, comes your name. Now, you know that's not because the angel of the Lord didn't know his name. His name moment of desperation. Everybody say desperation. And that Jacob. And he knew it. He recognized it. It means trickster, schemer, just always in a con, manipulating folks. And Jacob was a mouth. 
and the nature that he was exhibiting. And it was in that moment when he said, I will not let you go. But it's Israel, prince, prevailer with God. And so God sometimes asks you to get a new perspective. It's shedding some light. It's, it's out to God in the dark room of your existence and your experience. And it's in that dark room where photographers, I'm sure that if you're on social media, you saw all the hoopla this week over whether it's a black and... Seriously, I'm scratching my head and I'm going, really? We are going to... I mean, this was on every cable news. Putting up this kind of an ugly dress, to tell you the truth. <laughs> Differences had to do with how the photo was developed and the light... That which image you got, you saw white and gold or you saw black and blue. And I believe God sometimes takes us of our lives, drives us into a place of desperation so he can shed fresh light on his nature, his divinity, his purity. You, you feel like you've been through black and blue, been beaten up. And so God wants to take what somebody shined on your light and they've labeled back to the, to the dark room. We're going to develop those negatives and we're going to have it in the life of, an, of a gentleman who has become known for something. Get that out of the scripture where there's a large crowd coming down the road and there are people that are fawning over Jesus, recognize him for who he is, and then there are others that are along for the walk because they see the attention. Actually, in the Greek, it just sounded abroad. It's just all over the place. Everybody's hearing about this guy. And a centurion comes and Jesus says, you don't even have to, he says, you don't even have to come to my house. And Jesus said that he loved God heals. And Jesus spoke the word and did it. And there was a little dead of your issue of blood was dried up. And all these testimonies are just stirring all over the place. He's been on the cover of Israel, People Magazine, and everybody's talking about Jesus. In blind mark, the rest of this message will be in tongues. You'll have to interpret in the name of dumb. He's not deaf. He can speak. He can hear. He's just blind. And they were really just about too unbelievable. He is a son of Israel. And literally, why do you think in the three synoptic gospels, synoptics, kind of a $10 optic to see. So the synoptic gospels see based on your Bible reading plan and then you open and you read Mark and you go, wait a minute, didn't I just read this? I'm scratching my head, I'm reading it again. It's because you see these same stories. These three guys are telling a lot of the same stuff over and over and over again. Maybe one has details that the other one doesn't. I chose Mark because it had more details than Luke had. But they both tell the same story. Mark uses a blind bar Timaeus. Bar means son of. That was blind. We've got a double emphasis here. Everybody knew Bartimaeus, Jonah. Simon is the son of Jonah. Okay, very similar in Hebrew. It was the word Ben, David, Ben, Jesse. David was the son of Jesse. A language word understanding because it helps us to see what's going on. But this is Israel that's blinded as the son of Israel, the chosen of God. They're, they're in a place in the story or going along. It's a large crowd coming down the Jericho Road. And Bartimaeus hears that Jesus of Nazareth is excitement. And there's enough of the story that's gotten into his heart that in his place of desperation, a God, he had had his whole life become known behind Bartimaeus. How would you like to be known in the circumstance, a sin, a bad choice, an addiction, something name? Disabled Danny, a, a term to be known as. Whatever your limitation is, it gets put in front of blind Bartimaeus today. Not Bartimaeus, but just blind Bartimaeus. 
He has relinquished all ability whatsoever to be able to have children that can grow up and, and bring him grandchildren to bounce on his knee. And all of the hope for that is gone. He's now identified as blind Bartimaeus. And he's sat down on the roadside in his favorite spot in a place now with garments. It was a certain kind of cloak, whether it was identified by a particular color or what. His spot was on the road going outside of town. Most of the stuff downtown, midtown, I navigate right off of the interstate onto the Madison. A few faces. Some of them are critically in need. I hold my window down and I give, and there are other times that I don't, and I make sure the door's locked. There are those truly in need, and there are those that are just trying to make most of us in the room makes in a day. If they stay there long enough. Now, this is every Baptist preacher's favorite because he can line all the bees up together. Any of that this morning other than the fact that this is who he was before he comes to Jesus. And he hears and something of the revealing of the Holy Spirit takes place in his, in his heart because when the begins to come down the road out of Jericho to his spot sitting there at the entrance, or Jesus of Nazareth is the one that's causing all this stir. Homeless folks, we toss them a coin or throw them a... George Washington once in a doing this, he's blind Bartimaeus. He's wearing a beggar's cloak. He has his identity is a blind. It's a source of great limitation and shame his whole life. But some hope springs Yes! Son of David! Have mercy on me! And that tall yet. It's something that envelops you where you finally get sick and all of a sudden becomes a place that, that, that we've just gotten used to living in and it becomes comfortable. When you get desperate enough, you will pray. God help us so often people say these words and it just breaks my heart. They say, well, I've tried everything else, I guess. Desperate that we begin to cry out to him. And we get to the point, my second point, I want to move. When you get desperate enough, when you hear the news of cancer, hands on me. But, you know, when you get the word spoken over you by a doctor that there is no hope, how many of you know you start looking for minutes without air, but you cannot live one second without truly, without having some kind of hope? The meaninglessness of all of life. There is no existence. There is no meaning. There's no purpose. Hemingways who put a gun to their heads. Great creative novelists, but they distance, and so they end up taking their lives because of despair. They reach a point of desperation, but don't find hope. And they finally, in that decision, if there's anyone in the room that's facing that kind and level of despair in your desperation, in your struggle, in the habit that you can't break, maybe that even somebody's identified you with, maybe you've been called the, the druggie, or maybe you've been called, and I don't know what the blank is to fill in with you. Maybe your struggle is a financial one. Maybe you're any kind of holic behind Jesus has a way of coming to us when we are in our darkest moments in those dark rooms of negativity to develop them into something new with a whole different perspective of light because desperation fuels prayer. And secondly, I mean, they're just the church shushers, hushers. Into the Lord, whether it's by yourself or somewhere else. This is not just about trying to encourage a more Pentecostal expression of worship here. Though that's fine. I mean, if you... If you, if you, the Bible tells us to shout to the Lord with a voice of triumph. That is a biblical commandment. You are obeying God when you do that. Around here in leadership, condemning you because you, blind Bartimaeus didn't care. He was shouted all the more. You want to know why? Because he didn't care what anybody thought about, you know, your response in a 75-minute worship service. This is about business, a marriage that's on a rock, on the rocks. 
uh, financial circumstance or has gone south in your life that's not doing what you know it needs to be in order to be held cry out. Come on, somebody. Are you desperate this morning? Do you need some hope? In the face, he gave him endurance and he cried out. And guess what happens? He did get Jesus' attention. And so, well, this is what, what takes place. Jesus actually calls him. He's, the parade's going and Jesus is in the middle of it. And we've got all this mixture of people. Some of them are truly where the attention is. Though they wouldn't be the center, they would still sort of be where all the action community, just kind of jumping on the bandwagon because this happens to be where whatever the Spirit of God and that's between them and the Lord. We're not here to be judgmental about that. It's just that you're, there's a mixture in every crowd. He's screaming at the top of his lungs, Son of David, Son of David. And I believe that was the point of revelation. Because the sure mercies of David that God made a promise to him and said there would always be one. Jesus who had come on the scene was the fulfillment of that promise to the nation of Israel. And he represents the whole nation sitting by the roadside begging. They don't see. They don't recognize. Who can see? Oh, my goodness. Let me just take a side note that I didn't with disabilities and we see them as lacking in many ways and sometimes that, what was it Helen Keller the famous person who went into government leadership who was blind her to speak and to read and just seemed to be this pitiful child that was blind and deaf one time the question obviously it was through braille or through uh, I guess her fear and so the question was asked her about having no sight and how horrible that was a vision because the greater curse is to have sight and have no vision and so Bartimaeus is a blind man, but yet he has vision to see who Jesus missed. Oh, they see a healer, but Bartimaeus sees him as the son of David. And something that is so powerful. In the movement, Jesus stops in his tracks because he hears somebody say, Son of David. It was like him saying, King of kings, King of Israel. This hidden identity, this blind man who has no ability to read or understand, but yet you who are the heir to the throne of David, come, you can change my life. You can Jesus stops in his tracks. I love this. I love this. Jesus stops. And everybody's going, Where, why, why, why are we stopping? Let's keep moving. And the beauty of this is, go call him to me. How many of you know sometimes the folks... Come on, how many of you know what I'm talking about? That whole junior high game that you, you think folks outgrow, but sometimes their 40-year-old women still mean girling in the church? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. You got that whole mean girl, mean guy thing, whether it's, oh, why don't you just sit down, hush, just be quiet, just hush, just and they rebuke him. And Jesus says, call. Sometimes when your heart's right with God and other folks aren't and they're trying to hurt you, it's I'm enemies. Hmm. I'm going to tell you there's nothing like watching you eating and blessing the favor of God on your life. Come on, somebody. Just stops and says, call him on over here. And they, they, all of a sudden, Jesus' attention is on him. And so now, yeah, on your feet. Come on, get over here. And so Bartimaeus does something that will change your situation. Some of you are sensing right in a long time and you've heard about the things the Lord is doing here and, and, and warmth and the, the, this, the acceptance and the love of God in this place. And, and right now, and he's talking to you, but you're hearing the voice of the Lord through this and you're sensing a God who loves you. And Jesus is calling. He's looking into your individual hearts and he's calling you in the circumstances. But his one call says, bring him. It will change your life. His call changed his situation. And I love that throwing his cloak aside. This cloak was a special kind of cloak. This cloak was a public identifier of the garment itself. It was called a beggar's garment. 
He, identity from his past, got up out of the comfortable spot that is his, but I can still whoop you. Anyhow, so Bartimaeus got up, left his place blind, looking for the hope of the voice of Jesus. Gets up there to Jesus, and Jesus asks him the question. This is the punchline, and I'm finished today. And I guarantee you, in this room, the size, this crowd, there are hundreds of struggles. The house doesn't even know a struggle or two that you're wrestling with. It's an, it's an addiction. It's a pattern of behavior, and you've been identified as that. Because Jesus chose to lose for you and have the capital L Painted on all of history. You don't have to worry about failing anymore because he's already lost everything. only looked like a loss. It wasn't a failure. It was the greatest victory in history. And swallowed up all of sin. And it bought your pardon for every separated, unreconcilable difference. It's given you forgiveness. It's brought free. Everything that looked like a complete loss did for a couple of days until his victorious life over death. He showed that what looked like an utter defeat of humanity. Can somebody say amen? So your failure, your mistake has told you that a parent or a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle or a victimization that happened to you, that you but it's labeled you as damaged goods? That's a lie of the devil. And I want you, Because you're a son of Israel. You're a daughter of the king and you are called. Some sense of hope. Hope that like a little bitty tiny seed drops into the crack in a sidewalk and a little tiny tree, a plant, starts to move hundreds of pounds of concrete. And a tree breaks up what man has labeled and put there as a set of limitations, heavy condemnation. I don't know what you're facing this morning, but throw your cloak aside. Get up out of your comfort zone and come to Jesus because he's calling you. Yeah, you're a failure, so am I. So is Jesus. But he's a failure who turned it around. He's, he's a failure who became a winner. And he's won for us. So guess what? You've got grace that abounds over your life now. And this thing is not even dependent upon you anymore because it's all based on what he's already done for you. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to deserve it. And guess what that means when you can walk in that kind of freedom? It means you're, you're free to be who you are. You're free to be all that he's called you to be because you don't have to worry walking around that, that you're going to have some kind of fear of failure and some church Pharisee with a bag of rocks is going to stone you when they catch you. Come on, somebody, help me a little bit this morning. Jesus asks him the question, what do you want me to do for you? So Jesus is at your knee, at your doorstep. He's looking you in the eye this morning. He's standing face to face. He knows everything about your circumstances. The question he's asking isn't to find out privy information because he already knows everything about your junk and he still loves you anyway. The amazing thing about Jesus is that there's not anything you can do to make him love you more. And oh, the flip side... The inverse of that statement is also true. There's not anything you can do that if you did do it, it would make him love you any less than he loves you right now. And because of that, he's reaching out to you and he's saying, what do you want me to do for you? Now, think wisely. Let's don't penny-ante our answers. But let's talk about life transformation. Let's, let's, let's put great big things out there before God. You know what it is. What's the struggle? What's the cloak of condemnation that you've got to throw off? What have you been labeled as blind Bartimaeus the beggar? Because Jesus has come to you and he's asking you personally. He stopped the parade just for you this morning. He silenced the rebukers and the shushers and he even used them to get you up into his presence. And they had to shut up and bring you to him. Isn't that great? 
And so now Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And the answer, this is beautiful. He says, Rabbi, I want my sight. Jesus responds with one word and says, go. The answer, he doesn't stop and talk about you know, salvation from sin and all this kind of stuff. He's had an encounter with Jesus that has radically changed his life. He's restored. He's whole. He's a son of Israel now who is seeing. And Jesus says to him, go. There's a commission ascending even in the healing word. I believe that when Jesus first said go, there was no sight. But Bartimaeus had to obey and all of a sudden he's taking steps and the eyes are coming open. I believe faith is represented when we take action. Jesus says your faith has made you whole. Your faith has healed you. I don't think that it was him trusting in his own ability to believe. I believe his faith was in Jesus. Our faith has to be in an object. Our faith has to be in God. We don't have faith in our faith. Hey, if I can just get some more faith, then I can heal myself. My faith will heal me. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, no, you knew something. You trusted in me and your faith in God has brought you healing. And I love this. Immediately he received his sight and he followed Jesus along the road. That's the fruit of a proper response right there. Too many folks pray and God answers and then they just sort of get up and live their lives the same way. But the real fruit of whether you've had an encounter with Jesus that's transformed you is if you get up from there, the habit, the sin, the destructive pattern of behavior, the cloak's gone, the identity of a beggar's gone, and he starts following. You know, you can't follow Jesus and keep begging. Are you hearing me? You can't follow and walk with Jesus and keep doing what you used to do. You can't keep living in your alternative lifestyle. You can't keep doing these kind of things. You have to identify and say, Jesus, I've given you my life. I've given you my, my time and my talent and my treasure and my money and my sexuality and all of these things that the whole world is pulling and gnawing and clawing at you, trying to make you into something else other than the image of God that he has for you. Hear that this morning. Don't let somebody put an identifier on you. Any kind of way, throw the cloak aside and come to Jesus and follow him. Bow your heads with me, please, this morning. Jesus, thank you.